Thank you for tuning in. I completely messed up the beginning recording of this and the first 20 seconds of interviewing Marlon did not record. So this is the intro. Marlon is a local rapper here in Edmonton who does a number of stuff in the community on top of sort of navigating his career in the music industry. And right now I'm just going to cue the rest of the interview. So thanks for tuning in and love to hear what your feedback is and thoughts are around this conversation. Thank you for tuning in to 360 Chat with Just Bobby T. I just would want to inform everyone. What the hell am I saying? Thank you for tuning in to 360 Chat with Just Bobby T. If you're listening to this on iTunes or possibly live on Facebook, I would appreciate it if you could take the time to review or share this and look forward to sharing more stories, conversations, and information with you. So thanks again and talk to you soon. Produce music, I coordinate events, I write grants, I create marketing campaigns, um, I mentor, I yeah, used to do campus radio for a number of years, um, yeah, throw events, uh, yeah, whatever needs to be done, it gets done. I've even shot music videos before, you know, and directed them, so yeah, and that's, edited them, so. That's yeah. so wicked, so a man of many talents ultimately. Yeah, yeah, Jack of all trades, massive nut. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I want to start to do um, for these chats, I'm kind of curious. Um, yes, we're kind of at the start of a new week, it being Tuesday. Um, last week, what, what did anything have your focus? Did anything have your mind? Did, what was on your mind last week? Last week, grants were on my mind all last week. Um, okay. Yeah. But, Speak to me a little bit more about grants. Like, what, okay. what, what about grants caught your mind or what do you do in that space? Well, in that space, um, people will reach out to me and be like, hey, you've had success with grants before. Um, I may have I may have applied for a grant or I may not have applied for a grant and I need someone who actually has a better understanding of how to actually apply for grants and then we'll basically have conversations back and forth. I'll basically break their, pick their brains in regards to what they really want to do um, in regards to marketing. Maybe it's creating an album, maybe it's touring and then um, once I have all that information, then it's my job to create a campaign that is tailored towards that artist, one that's unique to who they are. Um, and sometimes you find artists that aren't necessarily able to articulate that. Um, and so you have to find ways to probe and be an investigative journalist, I guess you could say. Another hat that I've worn as well, too, you know? Not investigative, but just journalism, you know? Actually, that's super dope. That's super dope. And like with myself, I'm trying to think what I got into like last week was interesting. Um, hmm. Not too, not too much. Like, I'm trying to think, well, actually, what did catch my eye last week? Actually, you know what was like super interesting with like the launch of Black History Month? Yeah. Um, got actually really deep into that new movie, uh, that Black Panther movie coming out soon. Okay. Okay. And so, um, are you attending the? Uh... Yeah, the come up event. Yeah. So yes. for everyone who doesn't know, there's this event happening where um, the come up, which is like a local uh, community group that's based out of like the Africa Center, which is the African community here in Edmonton, we rented out a theater to like celebrate the movie. And in addition right. to that, we're going to be having it fully catered with a whole bunch of like Caribbean African food. And then we're throwing like an after party uh, inside the rec room, which is like across the street in the south side. So it's gonna be like a really dope event. I'm super excited and yeah, I'm excited to see this movie. 
you know what's crazy about this movie is that like I feel like it's gonna inspire a whole new generation, much like Blade did. Um, Cause yeah, like if you were around during the time that Wesley Sykes came out with Blade, then all of a sudden like Blade was like the 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 baddest dude out there. He was that guy that just made you just want to be a superhero, you know. And it's it's one of those things where we don't see enough um, superheroes that resemble you and I, you know, um, and for Marvel to come out with this, it's, it's, it's great, you know, and I really hope that this is not the beginning of, uh, let me rephrase that. I hope this is the beginning of us supporting movies that can have a, uh, predominantly black cast, um, but also black funded as well too, because with Marvel, we know that it is, uh, a, a franchise that has been around for a number of years and stuff. Yeah. But when you look at the demographic that's there, like let's not just get behind Marvel movies. Let's get behind, uh, whether it be Spike Lee movies, even if it's an independent filmmaker from your city who happens to be a person of color, get behind that as well too. 100, you know? 100%. Cause I think this like movie is going to highlight, Hey, there's talented individuals that are from a number of, co- you know, of color. Yes, yes, so, yes, yes, yes. so I think that should be like a dominant thing that like, you know, it comes from this movie. And then to echo your same points, I totally agree with that. Like, there is so much talent in this city and just in the world yes. that we sometimes don't acknowledge fully because they don't come from certain groups or certain buckets or bottom line places that have the funding to market yeah. that, them as the best. So, but The weird thing about that, though, Bobby, is that when you look at it, Hollywood at one point in time was, a, was just, just land, you know? Yeah. And it took the influx of multiple people who have uh, similar talents working together and creating something and being proud of what they do and getting better and failing and so on and so forth for them to create something. And I think that a lot of times we don't realize um, what we have here. Um, but a lot of times it's right in front of us. And like, it's not to say we don't have filmmakers. It's not to say we don't have producers. It's not to say we don't have directors. It's not to say we don't have uh, talented musicians. But sometimes we're so focused on looking elsewhere that what we have right in front of us can do that job and possibly do it better, but we want to leave and go elsewhere and be recognized and be celebrated elsewhere. And I think that's a, a huge problem that we have, um, not only just in our community in the sense of, of black people, but here in Edmonton as well, too, and as Canadians. Like, we had a conversation earlier in regards to Drake and, like, did we celebrate him when he was here? Not really, you know? Totally. But the moment he gets celebrated somewhere else, we're like, no, he's ours. He's ours. It's like... Let him know that he's yours before before he takes off. Totally. Know? And then we were making jokes about it. But, like, I would love to kind of meet and see that experience that when Drake himself, you know, finished that deal and it was all ironed out. And, like, that week prior before that big announcement of the month or whatever that period of time, I would love to see how people behaved around him and how he kind of took his notes and started, like, putting X's. Like, oh, <laughs> oh yo, what? What? You, you don't like me? Or, 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 or like, oh, you said no? I can't come here? Okay, okay. Okay, we'll see next week. We'll see next week. Wait till next week. Wait till that PR drop. You know, like, wait till that press release. Whew. You'll see. Yeah. And that's that's a lot of power to have. And, and it, obviously, it's, it's very narcissistic. But at the same time, though, it is a lot of power to have to know that you... And this goes for anybody who, who is just out there right now who believes in themselves enough to be like, hey, one day I'm going to be this thing. And having the discipline to actually get to that point there, because um, a lot of it comes down to team. But at the same time, though, whether you like Drake or not, and I'm a person who's, who's critical of, of all this, the artists that I like, just because I like you doesn't mean that I'm not going to be critical of, of what you do. But I think that one thing we do have to recognize is his discipline. And that's something that you see as a common thread to a lot of people who are successful is the level of discipline and a level of of sacrifice that is not common with most of the people because 
it's easy to get that check every two weeks. Yep. It's easy to go to go to work every single day and have the comfort of saying, hey, you know what? I work at a job. And I'm not taking away from people who do have nine to fives or anything like that. I'm just saying that it is very easy for a person to be in that position, but to take that risk and believe in yourself to know that, hey, there will be droughts and there will, you'll go through feasts and you'll go through famine. That takes a lot of discipline because at the end of the day, when someone is telling you to work, it's a lot different than you having to remind yourself that oh, you have to work. 100%. You know? And you're just nailing, I mean, you nailed it around its head in regards to the difference between, you know, entrepreneurs and people who just kind of have that freedom to collect that, you know, that paycheck. And it's not to say they don't work to collect that paycheck. Totally. But it's, a you, it's a different dynamic. It's just yeah, different. totally, it's totally. Different. It's different. When you have to be the one to actually follow up with the person to make sure you're, you're getting that check. And what's interesting is that you learn a lot about accounts payable and accounts receivable, you know? <laughs> like, that's one of the first things you understand as being a, an entrepreneur is the whole aspect of cash flow. It's yep. like, are you, are you, are you... The income that you have coming in, does that is that more than what you're actually spending to go out? And totally. the unfortunate thing is that when you're starting out, you have to spend more than what you're making. It's, it's which a, totally <laughs> like that goes into that cliche, which is a fact. You know, takes money to make money. Yeah. You got to invest money to certain activities. Well, that's say on the most simplest sense, just marketing, yeah. getting your branding, getting certain elements done so that people can communicate you, getting those communication channels set up. Like all of that takes time or Sometimes it just takes money behind it. Yeah, no, so very true. So let's, let's, let's rewind. Let's rewind. Tell us about okay. yourself and let's start from the beginning. From the beginning. From the wow. beginning. All right. Uh, beginning in the sense of, of me pursuing a uh, career, just enjoying arts or just enjoying music, I, I mean, business. Like when you were born. I was born. Wow. Wow. Okay. I born to uh, Jackie Wilson and uh, Fred Wilfred Wiggum. Um, I was born in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, some people know that. Some people don't know that. The first couple of years of my life, I was uh, a, a child, just a baby in Jamaica, um, and then came back here to Edmonton, and that's where I spent most of my life, just uh, soaking up so much of, of what we what we take for granted here. Because I think that. Um, it's so fascinating when you talk to people who are from towns that are smaller than Edmonton because they're just like, yo, Edmonton seems like a big deal to them. But yeah. we take it for granted, you know? And then you you talk to someone who's from Toronto and they're, they're like, they're like, man, Toronto's all right. Like now Toronto's like, they're just feeling themselves still. And they have good reason too, right? But <laughs> at one point in time, they used to take for granted what we thought and what we saw as being, oh my gosh, like Toronto is so huge. But then you take it to another scale. You go to New York, and all of a sudden now it's a situation of people from Toronto being like, man, I wish I had what what New York had. And it's like you kind of have to just uh, embrace what's around you. And that's something that I was fortunate to do. Like we grew up. So on you did that as a kid. Like you 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 felt like you were you were acknowledging what you had at such a young age. To an extent, yes and no, yes and no. I think I think what 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 was. I was fortunate in the sense that we have a huge family, right? Yeah. And so our family is from Jamaica, right? And with the family members that I had, like, I was surrounded with the culture that allowed me to realize that we had something special and unique. You know, you know that you're different and there's multiple things that, that point out point out these differences, right? Yeah. Whether it's racism, whether it's 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 uh, the clothes that you wear, the food that you eat, certain things like allows you to, to realize you're different than um, having a family that that just supported the, the, our difference and, and embraced our differences made it easier for me to actually be like, yo, like, and then on top of that too, like the, the climate of that time, Sorry, growing up, um, whether it's like having um, certain artists like like a, let's say a, 
a Chuck D or Big Daddy Kane or whatever yeah. that that embrace the whole idea of being proud of who you are and where you came from. And even Maestro Fresh West, I had a conversation the other day, and it's like Maestro is an artist that we often we get, we give him the 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 tokenism in the sense of acknowledging him as like yeah you're a veteran you're a veteran you're a pioneer but do yeah. we really understand why this man is a pioneer do we really appreciate what he has created for us and when when I was growing up Maestro was that dude that made us proud to be from Canada and and what's crazy is that like he had his album, if you compare his his first album, Symphony in Effect, with yeah. um, any of the, the, the classic hip-hop albums that dropped within the two years that his album dropped, yeah. is comparable. And in nice. some aspects, even better. But we don't hold him to the same regards that we hold Rakim. We don't hold him to the same regards that we hold a Big Daddy Kane. Yeah. And when I look at it, it's like, we shouldn't just be giving him the token, oh, yeah, you know, you're a veteran, you're a pioneer. We should be saying, thank you for what you've done, because at the end of the day, being a lyricist in Canada, being able to produce an album in Canada of that quality at that point in time. And what's crazy about that is that his DJ is a Rizzy from Edmonton. So there's an Edmonton connection, which, again, just brings it back to the whole fact of, of being proud of what you, what you have. And even the guys who came up before us and mentored us allowed us to realize that we had to be proud of where we were from, you know? And there's so many things that I think that, that are missing right now in Canadian hip-hop that were there when we were coming up that made us feel proud of being Canadian like yes Drake waves that flag which yeah. is great but yeah. at the same time though the, it's 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 kind of like you have to be a part of that whole brand in order for you to feel that you're successful where when you look at uh, Beat Factory when you look at Rap Essentials and yeah. all these different things that were yeah. created like different platforms that it gave Canadian artists a voice even like down to much music where, where Master T is letting people come through and like performance and like that, like yep. that allowed us to realize that, yo, like we can actually do this where nowadays I feel like it's not necessarily there and the time has changed. And maybe that's uh, something that we have to take upon ourselves as, as people who create uh, music in yep. Canada to realize that like the time has changed, what? but it's a different year, but totally. that doesn't mean that we can't find mediums to actually do the same so, thing. Totally, because like, like there, there's like a sense of like because of technology and because things are moving so fast. In a traditional sense, like the mechanics or the the framework has not changed; it's just the medium. Yeah. So if you grew, I can imagine your audience by touring around the place, touring yeah. to city to city. Like there's this, you can still do that as a regular practice, or you can start to jump on some of these platforms like Spotify oh, yeah. and all these stuff to expand. You could jump into forums. I'm sure there's on the up and up with technology and the you know dot com boom. I'm sure there's people who are writing the forums, starting yeah. to like push out their music and having conversations with people at scale. So it's all about just working with the mediums and sort of the the platforms at the time. And yes, from a traditional sense, using that same framework yes. of like how do I have as many one-on-one conversations, one-on-one performances to scale up what you're doing so people, bottom line, I mean, get your music. Yeah. And I've heard of like the same tactic of, you know, with so much videos flowing throughout, you know, technology and the internet of us digesting so many, um, artists who are trying to now, you know, make sure people get their ears, you know, like they're competing for people's earways, yeah. you know, putting your music out on top of videos or on top of people and putting it out there to say, hey, use my stuff. Yeah. That's another little tactic or strategy you can use, so I can imagine that. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm curious then. So you, when did you first get into the music scene as, like, you know, being born here in Edmonton, or sorry, being born in Toronto and being here in the Edmonton scene? Like, when did you first touch upon that? And what was that experience like? And 
What was your first group? Like, tell us, tell us some details wow, about all that. All that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. I want, I want the, I want the story. <laughs> all right. So for those, for those who, who are familiar with Politic Live, you know that uh, the group consists of uh, myself, Arlo Maverick, uh, Bicanolti, which is my cousin, and Dirk Gritty, which is his brother, and then our DJ Sonny Grimes, and the fifth unofficial member would be Uzila, you know? Um, now, the crazy thing about it is that when we were young, like, Bigger and Gritty and I used to always perform, you know? So whether it's at school, whether it's at home, I remember we, there was one year that we did a trip to Jamaica for Christmas and like uh, Michael Jackson was big at that time, right? And Michael Jackson's never not really been big, you know? But at that point in time, it was like, uh, it was huge. And like we were in Jamaica and like out on our veranda, there was like, it was kind of sunken in so like up on on the top there people could walk by and, and see you because pretty much that's how jamaica is like at least where we're from where we're in country so it's like when you see people everybody knows each other so on and so forth so here we are as like kids who are down in jamaica and stuff like that just really soaking in the vibe and everything like that so we start performing michael jackson songs and doing routines on the veranda for people walking by and it's like that is that's not the like that's not the initial but it's like moments like that that i look back at where it's just like wow like performing is something that we just love to do whether it's totally. performing at talent shows at school and stuff and and the cool thing about it is that because of the fact that three of us were actually related we always were performing you know and okay. always finding ways to connect with each other and like i took it more seriously just in the sense that like this is what i love to do you know yeah. Where a lot of times I feel like with those guys that they love to do it, but at the same time, it's just like, oh, like it kind of allowed us to stay connected, you know? And sometimes 100%. those bonds are more important than the success you have. Sometimes those bonds are more more important than the music you create. It's just a matter of spending time with what we consider to be our brothers, you know? Like totally. I'm the cousin, but at the same time though, we grew up as brothers, you know? Yeah. Yep. And and what was what was your first performance? The first performance? First first one. Wow. Wow. I wow. I'm trying to think, but I honestly can't remember because we had... Or, sorry, what was the first one that comes to mind? Like, what is the first experience or, of being on stage and just going at it with whether it was Paul Live or whether it was on an individual level? Like, yeah. I'm kind of curious. What was your first okay. performance and what was that like? I, a friend of mine named Chris Ronke, uh, he now lives in Vancouver, a drummer and also an amazing illustrator. Me and him used to just draw in class all the time. And uh, we decided to do a performance of uh, Ninja Rap. Uh Vanilla Ice's song, right? And okay. this is just like, we're like in grade six or whatever. And it's just like, okay, we performed for that. We wanted to perform for this talent show because the year before we had missed it. We're like, yo, we're going to get in there next year, you know? Yeah. And so, um, and this is, yeah, it's just so crazy because like there's so many, anybody who grew up with me in that time period knows that I was just like that kid who was always rapping and dancing in school and stuff, right? Okay, okay. But, because um, my boy David Herman used to actually bring his uh, ghetto blaster back in the days and like during our recess times, we used to just like have it out, just like dance and stuff, you know? Um, but uh, for this performance we did, it was the, uh, it was a talent show and I still have the photo somewhere where it's just like me and him, like just like, yeah, we're just like, we thought we were the coolest kids in, in school because of this performance. And when I look back at it, it's like, yo, we did ninja rap. It was, it was, yep. it, but it was one of those things where it's like, you're, 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 it had to be family friendly, but you're yep. also exposed to what you're exposed to. So we had like, we did the rap, we did the dance and everything like that. And it's like, we practiced like for probably about a good month straight, yep. just like making sure we got those routines down. And it's just like, that was probably, <laughs> yeah, probably one of the first uh, earliest performances. And even I remember, there was uh, one time, this is this is so funny, uh, Klondike Days, uh, yeah. or K-Days, Capital X, whatever you want to call it, um, there was, uh, they had this 
booth that they set up one year where you allowed to go in and do your own karaoke thing. And I really wish I could find this cassette because it's somewhere out there or possibly it's it's destroyed. Who knows? Okay. Right? Okay. But I we went to Klondike Days and and I we all like kind of split up and we went with some friends or whatever. And so me and Bert just stumble or Dirk ready to stumble upon um this one stage where they have this thing where it's like hey come in and do karaoke or whatever so we're just like we go in and they didn't even charge us for this this is how crazy it was they didn't even charge us for it still we went in and we started to do these um we had to find a beat that we could rap over right at that point in time it's just like all right let's find a crisscross beat so we ran through the crisscross beat just um just freestyling, right? Because we didn't have any songs or anything like that because yeah. we didn't know how, how to write a song at that point in time. So we just go in the booth, we start freestyling. They're, they're just like, yeah, you guys are amazing. You know, it's like we're little kids and stuff like that. So then we uh, we leave and we go find our boards. We're like, yo, big up. We're telling everybody like, yo, we, we got to go back. We got to go back. And like, they didn't let us, they didn't let us record. No, we we performed the first time as well too. Yeah, they let us go up on stage and and, and and uh, performed the first time and like the audience was just loving it. and it's just like at that point in time you're just like yo like I really like this you're connecting with people you're performing they're showing you love and stuff like that so we went and grabbed everyone else and when we went back there they didn't let us perform a second time because it was like kind of later in the day and everything like that but it was like yeah that those three performances were probably like or the most earliest yeah. memorable performances yeah. and then sorry for everyone who's like on Facebook live um, I was told that the mics are not loud so I bumped them up but just let me know if they're not still not loud enough um that that is that is super interesting. That's awesome. <laughs> and reference to that, like there must be so much nostalgia. Like, and that's I'm kind of curious. Like, why do those three kind of stick out for you in your head? I uh, well, I think that that Klonic Days has always been a staple um, in our city. And when I look at it, it's like we've gone on to perform there. Um, we opened up for Classified one year. We've done other shows there, and and but that was like one of the earliest shows that we ever did. And even that was the first recording we ever did. So that's why cool. that always stands out in my head. Um, the Jamaica thing was just one of those things where it's just like I really, really love Jamaica as a country. I think that is is it is one of the, the most beautiful places to to go to and like yeah. just the where we're from it's like it's like I have so many fond memories of that place there and like going back there that that uh that December and just like performing those songs and everything like that. Like it was just a real memorable time and then with the with the ninja rap thing like that was just like it was it was memorable because of the fact of how much time we had to put into getting those routines down. And I'm quite sure if I were to look back at videotape, if my school still has that, yeah. then it'd be like, wow, like we really sucked. But in our heads, like we put in time every single day. You and you know? guys are super dope. And so let me just check one more thing. Okay. Going through all these experiences, yeah. um, in many of our chats, kind of growing up here in Edmonton, kind of first getting touched upon the music scene. Yeah. I'm very curious. What was it like navigating the music scene here in Edmonton? Yeah. And tell us a little, give us some perspective about that in context. Okay. Uh, well, things have definitely changed now where there's a lot more support for the scene. Um, but coming up, especially in regards to hip hop, um, it wasn't necessarily the genre that people wanted to get behind. And there wasn't necessarily resources and there wasn't um, necessarily people who had experience um, in order for us to be able to navigate. Um, the only, well, I guess there's been two times that anybody from this city has been uh, nominated for a Juno Award for the rap category, you know, uh, Maximum Definitive or the Mac- Maximum Definitive, sorry, um, in 1993. And uh, Andre Hamilton, uh, known as Deadless, he was part of a Simply Majestic uh, compilation that ended up getting a nomination as well, too. But 
aside from that, we've never had anything that's gotten um, that much national recognition. And we've had great moments where we're just like, yo, like things are really going to pop off, whether it's um, the uh, amount of support that that our video for the matinee got in uh, 2004, 2005, or whether it's, uh, and that was Politic Live from the album Adaptation, if you want to go check that out on Spotify, um, or Cadence Weapon, who um, kind of became like the first artist that we had here from Edmonton to really, really, really give a national spotlight to what we were doing here in the city. Yeah, shout um, out to Cadence Weapon. Yeah, and then uh, Touching NATO as well, too. They had the representative project. Then there's been other projects that, come, have, that have come along, even Mitch Maddock as well, too. Um, Sounds Mitch Maddock. Yeah, like <laughs> a lot of dope people who have released stuff. But um, I think that when I look at what's been happening most recently, um, in comparison to what was happening when we were coming up, there was artists who, um, whether it's uh, All State Alliance or um, 118, there was so many acts that came from here that that um, had the talent, had the ambition, had the drive, but there wasn't the resources there. There wasn't someone to navigate, to provide them with uh, direction and guidance in regards to, okay, this is what you need to do. And these gentlemen were the, were the people who were giving us guidance, so they had they were sharing with us as much as they possibly could at that time. So, and, and, and what, what what would you say for like, and that's sort of like the current landscape of right now? Because I'm, I'm curious, what do you say to people who are currently sort of navigating? Because you mentioned resources, like what yeah. resources kind of weren't in, or weren't or were in place to kind of allow the scene to grow? Well, what was lacking? Distribution, which is, which is now the internet has completely changed that, you know, like if you wanted to, um, we had a conversation the other day just in regards to um, uh, Indie Pool. Uh, me and my boy Goose were talking about that in the sense that at one point in time, like if you were a Canadian artist and you were on an independent scale, if you, your whole plan was, okay, I'm going to get with Indie Pool, we'll sell a certain number of records and then once we have those, we'll basically try to approach a major to get distribution, we'll get a and distribution deal, so on and so forth. And that was the whole mindset that guys like Cardi, guys like Chocolate, guys like Socrates kind of like laid out for us in the sense of, okay, this is what you need to do because we were watching their steps, right? Yeah. But distribution was something where it's just like, how do you get your music out to other people? How do you actually reach out to other cities to, to book shows for a tour, so on and so forth? So a lot of those things weren't there where now success leaves clues and we could see that, hey, this artist has done that that artist has done that and we can start following those things, you know, and even just having um, organizations like Alberta Music here in the city, which is a, a music industry association and we have them all across Canada, but having, uh, as they have, have, have grown and as, as they have gotten more information and, and as we have become closer working with them as a community, yep. it's opened up doors for us to be able to do a lot more things and I think that as we continue to move into a space where you have people who have had experience because for example like in the last uh last year and a half or so right i've been fortunate to go to south korea to perform at zandari festa i've been able to oh. go to france uh to perform at a third party showcase in Medem and so on and so forth and there's great things that are happening this year and far as far as europe yep my experiences that I have are ones in which now I turn back and I give to the community in the sense of, okay, this is how I did this. Yeah. And, and is that what you mean by in reference, like success like has clues? Cause I was kind of curious, like what, 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 what like practical, like actual advice would you have for people who are, you know, navigating their own lane around the music industry and like, how do they do it? Like, what can you tell them that they need to do in order to get to whatever the next step is or whatever from your point of view is the usual roadblocks that artists sometimes hit? I, 
when I reference success leaves clues, um, a lot of times we'll look at artists who have a great deal of success and we're like, how do they get there, right? And if you look close enough, the clues are all there, you know? So give us an example. Um, so for example, um, there was an article recently written on an artist from uh, Vancouver, originally from Vernon, BC, by the name of Sunreal. And the article basically read, how did this uh, rapper from Vancouver, Canada, end up headlining shows, headlining his own shows throughout, West, throughout the United States of America, right? Read the article. And bit by bit, if you study, like, the answers are right there. So it's yeah. like, okay, he, uh, Sunreal spoke about forming his own team. It speaks about uh, acquiring, accessing grants to, to help with funding. Uh, it speaks about just staying consistently on the road, touring, so on and so forth. And it's like, you start to see, and a lot of times... We don't, we don't see those things. We just see it as, oh, it's, an, it's a great article. But it's like, no, go back and start picking apart what they said because they're giving you a blueprint of how they were able to achieve success. Even if you go on, on, a, on an artist's uh, Facebook page and just look at, uh, and we spoke about this the other day, like with every single year I do a year in wrap-up that basically breaks down everything that I've done for the year. Well, the highlights of the year, right? Because yep. some small stuff people don't really care about, right? Yep. But I try to focus on the highlights of the year. And what's interesting is that if you go through there, you'll be like, okay, this guy, showcased at Zandari Fest in South Korea. Let me Google Zandari Fest in South Korea to see what I need to do in order to um, get onto there, right? 100% or get into somewhere that's aligned, similar, bottom line, international festival. Thanks. And it's it's funny because, like, I mean, when we're having that discussion, there is people who sometimes, you know, there's, like, that perception that, you know, like, people are either, A, what they're, they don't see what happens behind the scenes. They don't see the work that you're putting in, the time you're putting in, and yeah. sort of the moves that you're making, that bottom line, um, is the pathway of success, if that's what you want to quantify it, or could be the pathway, because, yeah. you know, I, I can only imagine you're experimenting, you're trying. Oh, yeah, no, you're it's, putting, it's you're, trial you're, and error. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> you're putting yourself out there. And I think sometimes people underestimate the value in being practical and doing stuff yeah. like that. Like, what is it like? Like, the only way you can ever truly understand if going overseas is a value for you as a professional or you as a music artist or you as for XYZ ABC is to do it, do it yeah. and go over there <laughs> and learn the process and experience yeah. the, like the language barriers, experience the food, experience the culture, build relationships, and then after come home, reflect and see if that's actually a value for what you're doing to your master plan or dial it back. See, but you want to know funny still is, um, is that you speak about uh, networking and making connections. And I think yep. that that's a part that we fail to realize how important that is. Like some people get anxiety from, from being around certain people and, and don't want to talk and so on and so forth. Right. But treat it like a regular conversation. There's that you're going to find, um, years ago I was, uh, I shouldn't say years ago cause it's like uh, maybe 2010, 2011, right? But I was out at Breakout West in... That's seven, um, eight years ago. That's years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. We're, 2000, we're 2018, you know? We're 2018. <laughs> it's years ago. <laughs> but I was out at... Um, at um, and break out West in, in Kelowna and it's going to be actually be there this year as well too and uh, there was a panel that spoke about um, uh, music supervision right yep. um, and what's interesting about that is that the there was this one guy who was on there who pretty much like broke things down he's like okay let's just skip to the skip to the to what you need to know because these are our 
like I'm tired of getting asked these questions. He was very blunt, very <laughs> raw, which is cool still. Okay. Uh, he broke things down in regards to, okay, this is what you need to do as an artist in order to, to get on the radar of people who actually place music into television and movies and video games, so on and so forth, right? So after that panel, it's just like, yo, that's dope still. Now, I had a one-on-one session with one of the people who were on the panel, and, and I wasn't sure that, like, you assume that, like, okay, you're going to get something from the panel, but you want to ask further questions. And by yep. the time it came down to actually speaking with this woman, we had nothing to talk about. And I told her, I'm just like, uh, I'm like, all the questions I wanted to ask you were essentially answered by, uh, you know, this, this panel that you guys had, right? So then she's like, well, we have like... I think it was like 10 minutes or so, right? She's like, well, we have 10 minutes. And then we just began to talk and it became a casual conversation where I don't have a dog, right? But my cousin Sammy has a dog. And so she was telling me about her dog and I'm like, yeah, you know what? My cousin has a dog as well too. I'm not a big dog fan. And we just started talking about dogs and all of a sudden it's like we built up a rapport that had nothing to do with music. But it's one of the things where it's like afterwards you continue that relationship because of the fact that they see you as not just some, some, just some random person and a lot of times it comes down to relationship building and we don't put enough emphasis on creating genuine relationships with people where uh, not to say you're going to call them every single day but allowing them to realize who you are and like the thing about it is that I watched this blueprint on Scooter Braun the other day and yeah. one of the things he talked about was I'm sorry what's, what's a blueprint? Uh, blueprint from Complex Media uh, okay. Complex I want to check for that alright <laughs> you guys didn't give Joe Bond his checks but give me my check alright uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they have this series called Blueprint, which uh, pretty much they interview certain people. They've done everyone from Timbaland to uh, Pat the Manager to um, Scooter Braun to uh, Pusha T. And they basically ask them what their blueprint for success is, right? And so many fascinating stories are told. And one of the things that Scooter Braun brought up in, in his is that um, the people who you know, that's your power base. Yeah. Because when you go to someone and, and he gives this example, he's like, if, he, if you go to some CEO or whatever and you say, hey, um, I need this or I need that. He first thing he does is that he's like, hey, let me call my friends because his <laughs> friends are his power base. So much like that's his power base. My power base is you. My power base is is K Riz. My power base is is Uzila. My power base is whoever are my friends who are actively doing what I do or related to what I do and that's who I tap into in order to have success and that comes from creating long lasting relationships where you don't use people you work with people and I think a lot of times people just see it as well okay well I'm going to get what I need from this person and move on you know totally and you know what too I just had like an interesting um, discussion a few days ago actually about that notion of that dynamic of um, you know a relationship or working relationships and sometimes people you know it comes from like twofold like sometimes people believe um, a relationship is like okay when I need you or when yeah. you need me that's when we talk and that's not that's not that's not a relationship and like where like the the value really comes in is when you are doing stuff with someone whether it's around a project or just bottom line helping them out just out of their own benefit that's when you can actually build a rapport if that's like sort of like a business relationship. Yeah. And that's when you, it has actual like real value versus it being like artificial and fake. Yeah. And too many times, um, I don't think people see the value in that because, you know, you never know what someone's going to do a year from now, two years, five years, 10 years. You don't know who they have access to. And suddenly yeah. in a city like Edmonton, um, Alberta, where we are one degree of separation, um, people don't understand the value in that. Like oh, yeah. you can get relatively access to anyone to have a conversation, a coffee or, you know, the the 
bottom line to like, do something or do stuff. So yeah. I think that's like so interesting. And I think that's how um, I've been able to kind of grow at what I do and yeah. how I've had some like really interesting relationships. And I mean, that's how I have awesome guests like yourself here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So moving forward into sort of like the current landscape of things, um, Politic Live was the first group that was like a band and you decided to go on a solo route. No, 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 no. no. It's, it was crazy about that is that um, if I could still be in a group setting, I would be in a group setting. Okay. The amount of fear that was in me to release my first solo project. And anybody who, who's familiar with my my uh, process for work knows that I can overanalyze things and feel that things need to be uh, perfect and so on and so forth. And yep. hence albums taking forever to come out and stuff like that. So then when you when I'm doing that by myself, where it's like, okay, well, I am responsible responsible for all of this yeah. it intensified everything you know um what ended up happening is that um gritty uh who's one of the members of the group also my cousin um he when we created the first politic lab album he um had to balance between being a father and, and pursuing uh, a music career so it's yeah. like he's trying to do all these things and it's not easy you know um and so when it came time for us to release ellipsis he just said hey like i i want to do music because because i want to not because of obligation you know and like he also didn't want to miss out on he was about to have a daughter he didn't want to miss on having those moments because again balancing between family and music becomes very tough and I'm not at that stage in my life so it's like yo I respect that dude do your thing totally. and he was trying to push me to do a solo project for years and I was okay. just like nah man like yo we gotta do a Politic Lab one so Ellipsis was actually not supposed to be a Politic Lab album he was trying to get me to do an Arlo Maverick album and then even when I was like saying no we need to go back and rework the project he's just like no, like you're going to do this again like you always do. So release the project and then work on your own stuff, you know? No. And okay. it wasn't a situation of him not wanting to do it. It's a situation of, of him being at, at a stage in his life where family and him creating a, a, a path of his own in the sense of him wanting to totally. do event planning and so on and so forth, like that became important to him. And him, uh, he wrote a play for uh, a, a play called Marley Trials, which was an amazing thing. And, and the thing about it is that within Politic Live, there was always a shadow of Arlo Maverick, you know? So yep. when you're able to step out and do something where it's just like, yo, I did this on my own without Arlo Maverick, then you're able to create your own your own foundation, you know? Totally, completely. And so, and where does that bring us today? Like, what what are you doing now, sort of like in terms of projects, or, or, or I don't know if you have one on the go. You mentioned that last year you traveled to um, two international um, events. Like, yeah. is there more of that coming? And what does 2018 yes. look like? Uh, 2018 is uh, shaping up to be a very promising year. We're going to be out in Estonia for Talent Music Week in April. Then we'll be um, back in Europe again uh, in May. Currently, we have uh, Focus Wales, which is in Wales, Wrexham. Um, and then we have... Uh, New School Rules, which is out in Rotterdam, um, yeah. Amsterdam. So, and then we're trying to line up some other dates as well too, and still waiting on on feedback or not feedback, but uh, like confirmation on a couple of the festivals we've applied for. Um, there'll be a new album dropping this year. We we are currently in the, the midst of coming up with ideas for music videos. Last project that we worked on, um, maybe tomorrow. Um, 
it was very conceptual in its nature. So a lot of times I was very hesitant to release content unless it had to, unless it fit into the overall narrative. And in some ways that kind of shot me in the foot in some ways that kind of helped me to make sure that I preserved the, the, the the sacredness of, of what that project meant to me, you know? So with this project here, it's not as, um, it's not as, it's, it's conceptual, but not as narrative driven. So I'm, kind of allowed to, to, to create videos that don't have to connect to this part of the story and so on and so forth. Cool. Dope. So it allows you a little bit more creative freedom to explore different things that are not necessarily interconnected like yes. your previous project. Yes, correct. Dope. That is, that's, that's exciting. Yeah, no, it's, it's really exciting. Uh, and the other day we were filming the, the videos for Tapping in Solitaire and, and this project here is, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, um, maybe tomorrow was a very personal project, but I created a character named Sue, which was an acronym for Soulful Outlooks of Underprivileged People. Um, that created a barrier that prevented me from really, really getting, allowing people to, to, to get too deep. But for this project here, like everybody's been like encouraging me like, yo, like, dude, like let the people know who you are. Totally. And for me, it's always been a situation where when I create, I try to create with the purpose of community, you know? So a lot yeah. of times I feel that my story isn't necessarily the most, the most important story to tell, but as I've grown as an artist, um, I've come to see that if I'm able to find a way to tell stories that have happened to me that can relate to somebody else, that I'm still playing a role in the community. It's not a selfish or, or, or a narcissistic way of, of creating to- music, Totally, because know? like there's, 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 I mean, to, let's call it what it is. There's thousands of people who have a similar story, who yeah. have experiences or insights that they can learn from you that then they can apply to their own lives. So yeah. as much as it might sometimes seem... Um, you know, very, um, you know, kind of focused on yourself, like those, like learning, like, I mean, that's how we all learn, right? Yeah, no, of like, course. That's yeah. like every single, I mean, self-published, like, or not self-published book, but every um, bar- book on any biographies about people's stories, people get their own little cues and yeah. cues and um, insights that allows them to apply in their lives and see how they want to navigate things. Yeah. And this kind of segues into another discussion that we've had in the past about how, yes, you are a rapper, but you're so much more. Yes. Can you dive, can you dive into that and and sort of like speak to when you kind of have each points of things that you do outside of the music industry um, relate that how that impacts that and give some people context around a little bit more about Arlo Maverick. Okay, Arlo Maverick. I well, it's interesting so because I think almost everything I do uh, finds a way to tie itself back into. Um, into music one way or another, right? Yeah. So when you look at Hip Hop for Hunger, which was an event we did for a number of years, um, that um, it was a concept we put on every single year in December to raise food donations for the Edmonton Food Bank. We're looking at possibly bringing it back, but it's going to require a lot of time and, and a team around that, you know? Um, that in itself was my way of giving back to the community and raising awareness about about uh, issues that, that we often don't even think about like we throw away food and waste food like it's nothing and growing up in a West Indian household you weren't allowed to do that you nope. had to eat everything nope. that was on your plate and then you go over to your friend's house who is not from the islands and they're just like they don't want to eat that food so it goes in the garbage and it's just like yo dude seriously like, like how are your you parents to do that? your parents are allowing you to do that? and it's just like their parents don't care it's less well little Timmy didn't want to eat that tonight so what do you want to eat <laughs> And they'll go make up something else on top of what he just threw away. And it's just like, yo, that is crazy. So for me, it's it was a matter of creating awareness. And, and that's not to criticize anybody or anything like that. But it's, it, we do have to be mindful of the fact that we are living on a planet that has 
I, there are certain resources that we have uh, that are limited and we should be mindful of the fact that if we have something that if you're not going to make use of it, then give it to somebody else who can make use of it. Yeah. And, and, and let's be honest, anyone who came to this country, their children as first generations yeah. did not have those luxuries. Oh, yeah, that's, no. the, that's a fact. That's oh, a yeah. fact. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it usually happens where those kids then spoil their kids. And like, that's when the whole thing starts. Cause totally. We're all immigrants here. Yeah. No, <laughs> what do we have another? That's so true. Like we're all immigrants. And at some point in time, that whole idea of you throwing away food was not a concept. <laughs> it was just like, you are going to eat everything on your plate. And that goes from black families to Asian families, to so, white families. All totally. Eventually down the road, you start feeling yourself and you start letting your kids get away with murder. And it's like, yo, cut that out. <laughs> so, so I digress. Yeah. So, so like how, how has some of your other like activities factored into, I mean, what you do for music? As oh, uh, okay. Okay. Then there's also, uh, my background is in marketing, um, an eight graduate. Um, and so what's interesting about that is that Nate taught me a lot of practical skills in the sense of, of what the, it gave me the foundation. But then yeah. once I left and all of a sudden I'm actually in the real world, quote unquote, and actually interacting with um, all these, these things that I'm beginning to see, okay, well, that's what they meant by this. But then on top of that too, you're in situations, especially in music, where there's so many times where you have to be um, a lot more creative, a lot yeah. more dynamic, a lot more um, let me throw the rules out entirely. And it's funny still because I got a, a cousin, uh, shouts out to my cousin, Fen, who's always saying to me that him and I ha both have backgrounds in in, in business, right? Yeah. And he, we have an uncle where he's like, he often praises that uncle in the sense of this is a person who doesn't have a formal business education. He just does what he feels is the right thing to do and he trusts his gut. Where sometimes with us, it's like, well... Ah, the textbook, you know, and, and you have to, sometimes you got to throw that out because the textbook, the education you have is great as a guideline, but you have to know when you have to trust your gut and be like, you know what, I'm just going to go through with this because a lot of people fail in business because they're so fixated on what the textbook says and don't go with what their gut says. Totally. You know? Cause like, like I am so like, so I got, I had my, I got my degree from the university of Alberta yeah. and my, in marketing yeah. and my degree is hundred percent irrelevant today. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's changed <laughs> and, and, and it changes every day. <laughs> totally, and and because of that, like and like, I mean, I make that statement because I am just not a believer in school, and so I believe if you are a self motivator, you can teach yourself stuff, you research yeah. things, you YouTube things. Like school does not have the same value as it did like no, in the past. Totally not. And then if if you're like an individual, because I've had this discussion with um, a good friend of mine, Keen Pascal, who just recently went to uh, got his graduate degree um, from the UBC. Yeah. And he's an individual that requires you know that framework, that structure to get yeah. whatever. Needs and some to get people done. need that. Some people need that. Totally. Yeah. So if that if that's your kind of like cup of tea that you need that structure to get that you know knowledge. Um, sure, university, um, college, um, you know, whatever extra studies that you need, 100% is a path. But if you can learn that item or those like nuggets of information that you need to kind of execute whatever you need to get done, I mean, the internet is the middleman even to knowledge. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's, know? that's, that's true. And I think that the thing that people don't really look at when it comes to education is that um, all education is, is a collection of varied experiences that people have had related to a certain uh, field that you look at the consistencies within them 
and you create a curriculum in order for things to be taught, right? Totally. Because it's no different in science where you remove, where you look at the, 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 the control variables and, and so on and so forth in order for you to actually streamline what is what that specific thing is. That's what we've done with education. Now, when we have access to more information and things are changing on a daily basis, especially as we move into a more tech-savvy world, then now what's happening in the schools, because by the time they, they get the curriculum approved, it's that stuff is, is old. It's outdated. It's, old. it's gone. And, that's, and it's unfortunate because you have, what I find interesting is that when you have professors or instructors that work within the field, they're able to offer you advice or offer you guidance that is a lot more beneficial than someone who um, has been teaching for a number of years, but has been out of the field. And now they're basically just going off of what the textbook has. Because when you master something, it's just like, you feel great. It's just like, yo, I can teach this. But then as things begin to change, you have to be able to change and master those things and realize that what you master today might be obsolete tomorrow. You know? hundred percent. And I think that's the, and I think that's exciting because it keeps Keeps you on your toes. Hundred percent. Keeps <laughs> things interesting, and it, it it it's how the world moves. Like nothing yeah. is in um you know a state of stillness. Like everything's always moving and changing. Yeah. And I think that bubble that sometimes education hap that that keeps you in within that framework of theory. Yeah. Um, is not a representation of the real world. And yes, I know there's some people here saying like, well, if you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, and all those professionals says, yes, obviously, yeah. no. Like, those things are not changing. Yes, those things are structured. Even though there's still lots of advancements because De- of technology, definitely, that definitely. they need to keep up with their studies or their learnings or their conferences or whatever accordingly. However, um, very soon here, because of like technology, you can, I mean, you can get university degrees um, online. Online, yeah. And I think that says a lot. Yeah, but I think I think there is something to be said for tradition, you know. And I think that we um, still have to realize that even with all this technology, because sometimes technology pulls us away from actually interacting with people. One so, thing I, I I I loved about 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 school is the ability to ask questions and learn from other people's questions. Cause sometimes you don't know that you need to ask that question and someone else asks that question just like, yo. And then the teacher, especially when you have teachers that are passionate about teaching, you learn so much, you know what I'm saying? And it's like the unfortunate thing about the internet is that you don't have that rapport that can be built where someone is, it realizes that you are ambitious and you want to learn more. So they're, they're teaching you stuff cause they're just like, yo, this guy doesn't know how to ask his questions. So I'm going to drop this bomb on him and be like, oh, my gosh. You know, and then all of a sudden, it's just like you want to learn more. It's just like, yo, well, what about this? What about that? And it's totally. like that, that energy that can, that can go back and forth when you're actually learning in a classroom setting is still, still valuable. But I do think that we do need to find a way where we're able to create a balance where schools are, are, are if, if, that is your, if that's your desired route. Yeah. That it's actually more engaging and, and it's more uh, contemporary. It's yeah. keeping up with what's going on because if not, we're failing failing students. You totally, know? And, and charging them to to to, to fail them at, and, at what they're they're doing. And personally, on a personal, I think in our lifetime, schools are going to be greatly like. Not so much greatly undervalued, but and currently right now they're undervalued. Like people yeah. want to know what you're doing and what have you done versus necessarily education and your scores that you got yeah. in university. But I think that's going to be greatly like disrupted to throw like a little cliche pop culture word in there. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Um, 
how, what is, how does social play, social media, how does that play into how you navigate currently in the music industry? Oh, it plays a, plays a big role. And I'm, I'm still trying to master that and understand that. Um, and I think part of it is the whole fact that I wasn't, I existed in a time before social media. So for me, my life isn't spent on the phone, right? Yeah. I work it into my day where other people, like a lot of the younger artists that you see now, for them, that's all they've ever known. So they don't they don't know a time where it's like you where you where you weren't on social media, where you weren't doing a Snapchat, where you won't do it, weren't doing anything like that. For for me, it's just like I find that to be intrusive, <laughs> but I understand it's a necessary evil for me to actually connect with more people. Where some people see it as well, well, why wouldn't you be doing it? And I'm yeah. just like, well, you need time away from these things. And it's just like, so so so, which platform like do you like the most? Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Okay, and why is that exactly? I like it because of the fact that it is. Uh, I could tell a story and allow people to get to know me and share things via a photo and it doesn't require any, it doesn't require any intrusion where I find with Facebook, it could become very intrusive and, and although it helps create a community and this is not me knocking Facebook or anything like that, but although it can create a community, sometimes it's, there's too much coming at you all at once for you to be able to use it effectively. You know, um, Twitter, I like it because of the fact that, um, if there's thoughts or anything like that that I want to get, I'll, I'll tweet that or I'll share an article or I'll go on there and find articles to, to and share and just yeah. like basically broadcast or throw your two cents on it. Yeah. And it's, it's the, 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 the whole fact that you're able to locate what you need based off of hashtags, I think is such a valuable thing that, that Don't. we often uh, undervalue. Um, I'm not on Snapchat. People say I need to get on Snapchat, <laughs> but um, to me, that's, that, that's, that's, and I understand that, that, it's a needed thing, but I remember going to a music conference and that's another area where I get a lot of information from is music conferences because um, they bring in a lot of great delegates and panelists to yeah. a lot of these ones, whether it's Canadian Music Week, Breakout West, or um, Madame, or, or Zandari Festa, or anything like that, right? Yeah. But I say that to say that I remember being at a panel and someone saying to me that it's better that you master one or two social media platforms than be running five or six of them and doing all of them horribly. No, and, and that's and that's like very true. And and like the the value of being on all the platforms is you'll never know what um, is the biggest added value to what your campaign is or what you're trying to market or you're trying to communicate unless you're in all of them. Yeah. So like the reason why people sometimes say that Snapchat is value, valuable and why you should be on it is Snapchat, when people are in Snapchat versus Facebook, they're not distracted. There's not a whole bunch of like necessarily videos and all those other things going on. Yeah. When you're in your lane digesting someone's content on Snapchat, you're actually listening and looking at it yeah. or you're not at all. And so because if you get, say, 30 views on some type of piece of information or content or video on Snapchat versus Instagram versus Facebook, Snapchat is a lot more valuable because they're actually in it and looking at it. Mm-hmm. Facebook, it could be passive, you know, it could be a passive look or view yeah, or yeah. sort of like an engagement. And Facebook in itself, depending on the feeds, it's like three seconds. So that could be also passive. But Snapchat's a whole different other story. And that's why it's of value. It's all just in respect to you as an individual. If that meets you and it's fitting to like who you are as a character, yeah. then jump on it. If it's not and it's forced, then it's going to be broken from the beginning. Yeah, no, totally, totally, totally. And, and, this, and the reason why I brought that up is I noticed you've been doing sort of this segment of like freestyles yes. or acapellas <laughs> yeah. um, on 
Instagram. Yeah. And I want you to, I'm curious what's that all about? And then B, I'm hoping that you'd share uh, a verse, a, ver- a few <laughs> bars, you know, like <laughs> you might as well drop it on the platform, you know? This is this is the true test because we're live, we're live right now, you know? <laughs> All right. So so on Wednesday nights I just uh, I just drop a, a different verse and we did I I I'll record them in advance. Um shouts out to Natalie who who films them for me. Um now what's interesting about that is that um some guys that I work with, shouts out to Brandon Loney and, and Carl Munson, um, who would always like when I'd be at work, they'd be playing uh, like freestyles from different artists, and they they, they know that I, I do music and stuff like that. But for me, it's always been I'm a, I'm an album artist, you know. I'm a, yeah. very much like Kendrick Lamar, where it's like, yo, I focus on making great albums because when I look at Prince, when I look at Michael Jackson, when I look at at Jay Z, like a lot of these people were album artists. Yeah, Lucy's here and there possibly, but majority of the time was albums, you know? And so my focus has always been on to make great albums and I give myself some time to create another album in between that album cycle, you know? Um, but these guys were just like, yo, like how can we never hear you drop verses or anything like that? And it's just like, and then there's that on top of that though, there's also the whole thing of, of a lot of times people don't pay attention to hip hop lyrics and yeah. I'm a person who's lyric driven, right? Um, so when people are only paying t- paying attention to the chorus and only t- paying attention to the beat, that bothers me because it's just like, yo, you don't understand. Like, like I spent time on that verse. How are you not going to listen to the whole verse, you know? So I assume you're not a fan of the mumble rappers? Nah, you know what? Okay, this is what's so I, I don't want to about- sidetrack you. I don't want to <laughs> sidetrack you. I don't want to okay, sidetrack We're not going to sidetrack. I'll, I'll say yeah. this about the mumble rappers. I, uh, someone brought up a very interesting point in regards to James Brown and even Michael Jackson as well, too. And even Janet as well. A lot of times they'll be singing and the lyrics that they have are indistinguishable. But you still feel what they're saying and it's more about that emotion. So I think with some mumble rappers, quote unquote, it's about the feeling. With some of them, they're just being lazy, you know? Because I've never heard none of them articulate like that. Uh, I don't know. I I I may or not digest. Go back it, and listen. Go back and listen okay, to, to some James Brown because there's no there. no. I mean like mumble rappers. I've never heard them articulate their music that they're expressing feelings oh, that's from, driven by okay, the words okay. that you may not understand. I've never heard one of them say that. But yeah. Yeah. No, okay. No, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I've never heard them say that too. But when I <laughs> when I listen to it though, it's like someone had brought brought up that point. I can't remember who it was, but they brought up that point. I'm just like, wow, that's a really interesting point because I never looked at it like that. I just look at it as like, okay, you're being lazy because hip hop is very much about lyrics. But when we get to the point of it being so much about lyrics and the feel is lost, then you lose your audience. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people appreciate about Kendrick Lamar is the whole fact that there's feeling behind what he's saying, but there's also lyrics, you know, Yeah. where with certain rappers, it's just like, okay, the they're lyric heavy, but then you don't feel it. Then there's certain people who are the... Like Tupac was the type of rapper where it's just like Tupac repeated a lot of the same words. And I'm a huge Tupac fan, but Hennessy, enemy, like we heard those how many different times. But yeah. when you hear him say that, there's so much emotion behind it yeah. that you forgive him for him repeating stuff. And what's crazy about him, though, is that his topics are so varied. He could talk about almost everything. For well, most rappers nowadays, they talk about the same things, which is one of my critiques with a lot of artists where it's just like, yo, like, you're more than this yep. and don't insult me as a fan by giving me something that you feel that, okay, well, this audience is too dumb 
to actually appreciate this stuff. Because you know what I'm doing when I'm not listening to you? I'm going to listen to another genre or another artist who actually does appreciate the fact that I'm that. And then I pigeonhole you to being the rapper that I can only listen to when I want to have fun. And then that cuts out your longevity as an artist because you felt that I was too stupid to appreciate that. That's dope. That's that's super interesting. So I'm curious, do you do you appreciate artists kind of like that comes to mind is like a like a Connie West oh, yeah, who yeah, has Connie. navigated in different genres and has experimented and kind of put his career on the line as a rapper to yeah. do things. Like I remember when that 808s album dropped. I mean, people like, a lot of flag for that. People like, why are you singing? Like, <laughs> yeah. where's where's you know where's old Kanye? Like you know from like college dropout and he's yeah. just like, nah, I'm just gonna try this. I'm just gonna yeah. do it. Okay, so you respect. Okay, oh yeah, no, I, I think I think you have to take risks as, as artists, and I think that Kanye. Um, Kanye has been a clear example of how you could actually push yourself to create and take risks that most people aren't willing to take and not lose sight of who you are. He's still the same Kanye, but at the same time, though, he doesn't want to go to the studio and make the same album again and again and again. And so many artists will do that because they want to be safe. They're just like, yo, we have to make... We have to make money. I don't want anyone to think that I'm broke. I don't want anything that anyone to think I'm falling off. So I have to make the same album. Maybe make a few tweaks here and there, add a, a few different flows, whatever. Totally. But for the most part, you're giving people the same thing. Dope. Dope. You know, where Kanye stylistically, like <laughs> visually. conceptually, visually, everything <laughs> just keeps advancing, and like totally. he is. He's the artist that that we wish so many other artists would be like. And Kendrick is following in his footsteps, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. So you say Ken- Kendrick's like modeling sort of that in terms of his experimentation. And oh, just yeah, no, totally, do- totally, totally. But what's interesting is, is where does Kendrick go with this next album, you know? Um, because I wasn't a huge fan of, of Section 80. I felt it was, wasn't as focused as it could have been. Um, I was a huge fan of Good Kid, Mad City. I still play the album till today. Damn. Yeah. Uh, Damn is, is is amazing. Jumping back because I kind of jumped ahead there, but uh, the Pimper Butterfly and even uh, Untitled and Mastered, like these yep. were every album was different, and he grew as an artist. And he, I feel that he's found a way to um, present something that is uh, a balance of everything on this latest album. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here because of the fact that now you're in a position where you've everyone thinks that you've tapped out because you've created this album that is commercially viable, but people have to keep in mind that, uh, what was it, uh, Graduation was Kanye's most commercially viable album. He drops 808 and Heartbreaks. People say, yo, the dude fell off. And then so, My Dark Twisted Fantasy he drops, and it's just like... Everyone's just like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> jumps so, right back in. Yeah, you know? So, so and I, I we kind of went a little bit sidetracked. Can, yeah. can we hear some? Can we hear some? I, like, I want. I, that's been going through my head the whole time. I was like, when is he gonna drop? <laughs> all right, at the queue, right. on it or what? <laughs> all right, let's see. Um, what can I? Damn. All right, I'll give you guys this. Okay. I just put him right on the spot, people. So, you know, we didn't have no pre-talk about this. <laughs> I wasn't going to chime this. I was like, you know what? I'm going to put him on the spot and see if he actually delivers. So we'll see. All right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm delivering still. I'm going to deliver still. Okay. Um, let me think here. Let me think here. Um, okay. The only predictable thing about me is I'm unpredictable. Previously, sweetness like this was unavailable. It was accessible, but it was incredible. Forgettable. 
YMCs so susceptible to cheat tricks that cover up like speed stick your weakness to the fact that your realness is subjective. No disrespect, kid, but heads is the only ones that's subjective. Fans of Fickle once say, fancy your tickle to switch your ringtone for the next lame single. Meanwhile, your rush has turned into a trickle and all your weak songs got your in a pickle. See me and you ain't got ish in common. You're purposely awkward like Fifi Dobson, an absurd nerd who curbed the imagination only to burn out on a reverb nation, nation, nation. <laughs> that was dope. Music that's well-rounded like Beyonce's hips. Uh. <laughs> that's big. That's big. So I'm curious. Can, can you break that down? You mentioned you want lyrics. Like, like how, how does, from your point of view, what does... Like we as like a culture, we as like pop culture, ultimately. Yeah. You said we don't. There's like no longer like a really appreciation of lyrics, or or could I say that? Do you think people appreciate lyrics as they do in the past, or is that the current landscape? I I think I think with hip hop they don't appreciate lyrics, and yeah. I think that we. What's crazy about it is that hip hop has become the most. Uh, with streaming, it's become the biggest genre in the realm of streaming. But that's not necessarily a good thing because yeah. when we look at it, streaming is very much about being in the moment and uh, getting things and rinsing them and switching on, moving on to the next one. Yeah. So now because of that, like even when you look at culture too, uh, the Migos have received some backlash in regards to people feeling that like it was too early to release that project there. And like they're part of this whole new cycle where it's like you release an album that has 20 some songs on it that if you were to trim it down, you could probably have... 10 great songs, but now we're trying to release as much music as possible in order to get our streaming numbers up, right? Oh. Um, now, with that, what becomes interesting is that your attempt to, to have a platinum selling album means that you now devalue your music in the sense of creating so much to the point that it becomes um, kind of throwaway stuff after a while, right? So the time that it would take for you to actually create a great body of work is now like, okay, yo, we got to go in the studio. We got to get this done. We got to get this. It's kind of like you, you kind of have that, that whole, um, notion that Tupac had where it's like, yo, I could be dead tomorrow. So yo, we got to go into the studio. We got to get these songs done. But it's like, what's crazy about that is that when Pac did it, he made great albums. <laughs> yeah. But when people are doing it now, it's just like, they're just uh, pushing out. Yeah. And I it's like hit and miss. So with that hip hop becomes the biggest genre as far as streaming goes because of its popularity, but that's because people are just using it as a way to work out. They're using it as a way to party and so on and so forth. But when people want stuff that's meaningful and what's his name took flack for this the other day, uh, Post Malone, but it's like in, in a lot of ways it's true. When people want to hear stuff that's sincere, they don't necessarily go to hip hop. And it's not to say you can't find hip hop that has stuff that's sincere that talks about certain issues. But when we make, when we ourselves as artists make our culture about just making music that is, uh, that is fun and so on and so forth, then we don't actually say, no, I'm an artist of balance. Then now people are just like, oh, well, I don't go to you for that. And it's like, no, we should be going to hip hop to have a graduation song. We should be going to hip hop to have a song that celebrates uh, life, a song that celebrates um, graduate, like uh, getting your first promotion at a job or whatever it may totally. be. Like music, hip hop music needs to return back to being everyday music. So then now it fits into our everyday lives as opposed to just being that music we throw on when we want to party or when we want to get ready to go somewhere or whatever it may be, because we begin to devalue the culture. And eventually after a while, 
we're just going to be segmented to just party music. That's you know? super That's super interesting. So you kind of believe that with the scale and the growth of the amounts of music being pushed out into the market, yeah. um, that is starting to like kind of go a different direction that we are just getting stuff of not substance and depth, but just bottom line, just raw volumes of party music and, oh, yeah, no, and totally. energy music and just to get people. That's I've never even thought about that because oh. I was always under the impression it was important to... Um, you know, put your music out there. And nowadays, no, it is. It is. It, it totally <laughs> is. And as an artist who's who's benefited from having uh, platforms like like Tidal or Spotify or Apple Music or iTunes or anything like that, because of the fact that, as I said earlier, we didn't have that at one point in time. My whole concern is that because of the fact that we are as a culture are so obsessed with numbers and data, yep. we're trying to put out more stuff than we can or that we need to at a specific given time. Totally. And then we then uh, run out of things to say, but we still have to release stuff. Totally. So so here's my, here's my question. For, and I was, I, I remember I read some article about how Prince has, you know, a, a, a lock, like basically he has like a whole bunch of music that was unreleased yeah. in that I'd never seen the light of day. In your opinion, should he at the time push those out to the market so people can enjoy his music? Or do you think he was... I guess smart or strategic and just burying them and then doing whatever with them. What what are your thoughts around that? Well, I think that that we have to understand his reasoning behind it because if his reasoning behind it was that these just aren't aren't the best songs, then then please keep it under lock and key. Don't yeah. don't destroy your legacy based off of trying to have as much music out there as possible. And I think a lot of artists have done that where quality control doesn't factor into their decisions when they release music. They just see it as, well, I want to stay relevant, so I have to keep releasing songs. And then you get to a point where, and this is not a shot at Drake or anything like that, but then you have to bring in writers to come in, um, especially in hip-hop. It's something that is frowned upon, but when you're bringing in writers to come in, it's usually due to you oversaturating the market and getting to the point where it's just like, I'm tapped. You're, you are a creative, uh, you're a creative source, and when you constantly keep putting out music where you have a new song a month and so on and so forth eventually gets to the point where it's like I need life experiences for me to give you anything totally. but I'm releasing a song every week so how can I do that <laughs> so I think that we have to um, look at it from the standpoint of, of with someone like Prince Prince understood quality control like there's very few people that will tell you that Prince has a bad song you know like yep. where with Michael Jackson towards the end of his career there was a lot of stuff where people were just like, who allowed this to leave the studio? Look at Eminem's latest album. Like, Eminem's latest album, a lot of people are just like, wow, dude, like, who okayed this? And again, it goes to back to quality control. And in some instances, some artists are just like so big that they just refuse to hear no from anybody. And totally. so people don't tell them no. Yeah. And so they're, they're, they're surrounded by a bunch of people to say yes across yeah. the board. And I mean, bottom line, if they own and they're the lead amongst that um, group or if it's self, like, what like who's gonna stop them yeah, ultimately exactly exactly <laughs> um so you know what we've been talking for an hour and 10 minutes which means my parking meter has uh been up for like almost 30 minutes <laughs> and I, of Edmonton, I, please forgive me yeah and i and i think i pro i've been trying to keep these to 40 minutes but <laughs> this one's gone overboard the other one's gone over but it's good yeah. conversation just keeps it going um lasting things i'm so what where can people find you okay and um what, like, how can people support your music, get your music? If they want to right now, this minute, yeah. find your music to listen to. Where can they find you? 
Uh, they can find me on Spotify. Uh, they can find me on, on pretty much all streaming platforms, Tidal, um, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or uh, Google Play. Um, you can find me on, on yeah. CD Baby. You can find me on Bandcamp. You can find me on iTunes. Everywhere. Everywhere. Anywhere that music is, is available, my music is there. Um, currently, I have an album called Maybe Tomorrow that is uh, that if you're familiar with it, then you might be familiar with songs like Too Many Twos. or Super dope, super fire. I highly recommend every one to check out that album yeah and we're working on 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 a new project and maybe tomorrow dropped uh two years ago this month um and okay. so we're looking forward to releasing some new music and again i'm an album artist so i don't really release singles in between um unless i feel like okay will i really want to want to just release this this song here because i'd rather give people a body of work that they can listen to from beginning to end and i know there's been a lot of talk about well you can't give people an album to listen to all at once but i think that we i think we we fail to realize that if you build a relationship with fans and then you're i'm currently reading uh tribes by seth godin and one of the things they talk about is having a thousand uh loyal fans is better than having a hundred thousand wishy-washy fans and i think a lot of times we as 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 artists our ego plays into well i want to have like a million fans but it's like if i have only a thousand loyal diehard fans that support my music and support what i do music artistically then that will provide me with the means to continue to to live and also provide me with the means to create music for an audience that becomes my tribe you know um where i think yeah a lot of times we get we get fixated on on all these different things but um yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say something, <laughs> yeah. and the train of thought just just it derailed, and I'm just like, ah. No, no, that's what. Oh. No, that's dope, though. That's dope, and and I totally get that. Like, it it, it is more important to have a hundred loyal fans versus quality 10, versus quantity, hundred percent. And like a lot of people sometimes get caught into the numbers, yeah. and especially when it comes to having whether it's social media fans or anything yeah. like that. If you like the point of kind of like a fan or a following is able to influence them and if you cannot influence people to do something or do an action or go to a place then what are you really doing like what's the what's the point because like there's no point yeah and there's there's the narcissism that plays into it there's also seeing other artists who have all these like you'll see the concert videos whatever where it's just like a a sea of people just like singing along someone's song and that's great but the thing about it though is that the personal connection that that person has with your lyrics is more important you know and like there's been in, uh, like we're doing a, an event in uh, August. Uh, Politic Live is actually doing an event. It's going to be our first show in like a like almost like two years, right? Yeah. What we're doing a show and it's for uh, to raise awareness about raise awareness and money for uh, suicide and, and depression. And what's crazy about that is that the response that we've gotten from people reaching out just in regards to like, yo, we're so happy that you're, you guys are doing an event like this to help create awareness because it's something that affects everybody. And it's even affected my family as well, too. And it's like there's the connection you're able to make. Like I'm responding to people like individually in a sense, of like talking to them in regards to these things. Here. And it's not like I'm some therapist or anything like that. But again, there's something people want to, 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 to speak about something. And here I am as this quote unquote influencer who um can now take my my experiences and my my yeah my experiences related to that situation and share it with them and they can be like yo that's cool like I'm glad someone else was able to understand it because the messed up thing about that thing is that if you've ever had 
if you've ever known someone, I've I've had friends who have or or and there's a disconnect because yeah. at the yeah. end of the yeah. day, that's my friend, right? And for me not to see that person every single day is a lot different than a family member to not see them every single day, like their brother or their mom or their dad or anything like that, right? Yeah. But once you once it actually hits closer to home, you now understand what that person is going through before. It was just 100%. like you you see their pain, but you don't know about the confusion that is wrapped in that pain. And when you're able to relate to that and you're able to have a conversation with someone because sometimes you feel hopeless. And then there's people who actually see people who go through that and then they want to do it themselves because it's just like, yo, I don't want to be here knowing that you're not here. Totally. But when you're able to, to, to talk to someone who's actually been through that and it's just like, okay, there's hope. It's going to be tough, but you're going to get through. And so, again, just making that, that, that connection with people and it's like, I'm nobody, I'm not famous or anything like that. And what's crazy is that the famous people that people listen to on a daily basis wouldn't take time to respond to that. <laughs> Which is, it's, it's funny, but it's, but it's not funny because it's like, you would assume that these artists that you love so much would actually make the time to hear what, what, what's on your heart. Totally. But, but the, the, again, you're dealing with the scale that they're at. It's just like they, they can't. They can't know? when they have millions and millions of people around the world trying to speak to them, engage with them in that capacity. Yeah. Um, so any last thoughts around? Uh, damn. Uh, <laughs> last thoughts. Um, if anybody's in the city, if they're watching this right now, I'll be uh, taking part in Five Artists, One Love this coming Saturday over at Grand McEwen. Shouts out to Darren Jordan and the Dope. whole team that's doing that. So I just want to make sure I plug that. Um, show us some love. Uh, and give us some context real quickly. What's Five Artists, One Love? Okay, so Five Artists, One Love is an event that Darren uh, W. Jordan started up uh, many years ago where he wanted to um, showcase uh, artists in the city, like visual artists that um, were from the African Caribbean community who may not have the opportunity to showcase in art galleries so on and so forth so it's grown into a huge event that they have a concert and so they have this event called One Night in Harlem I'm going to be the narrator for it and oh. yeah I'm going to be dressed up three piece suits so my hair is not going to be looking as bad as it does right now <laughs> you know um yeah, uh, and so yeah, I'm going to be taking part in that. But as far as last words or anything like that, or, or leaving with any sediments or anything like that, just yeah, continue to check out my music. Uh, you can find me online at Arlo Maverick on Instagram, at Arlo Maverick on Twitter, uh, Facebook.com slash Arlo Maverick. Uh, check out what I'm doing, check out what the scene's doing, because there's a great hip hop scene that's here um, where there's a lot of cool artists who are doing a lot of cool things that people would probably be surprised by, you know? So check them out and just uh, see what's going on and support uh, individuals such as yourself who actually are giving people like myself an opportunity and a platform because... Um, Respect on that. Thank you, sir. Yeah, no, I do. do. We, we, we go way back. We go way back, man. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that one of our conversations was, was actually recorded because we whenever we connect, it's like... Sometimes, the last conversation we had was like, I think it was over three hours and we're so, just like... <laughs> Such a positive experience, and and um, hundred percent. I'm gonna say this: uh, you and I connect with each other every single week to just just push each other and encourage each other to do to do better in what we're doing, and yep. just as like a reminder that hey, like you have that support, and I would hope other people out there right now would be able to see this and be like, yo, like these guys are like they're genuine friends within the fields that they're in yeah but it's not just that it's like they support each other they push each other and i would hope that other people would see that and be like yo like we need to do that as a community where it's just like show support to the people that you believe in and and, and hold them accountable and ask them to hold you accountable so that you could actually be black excellences as we often talk about you know i can com i completely agree and you know what too we're going to end on that note just because 
It was so powerful. So respect on that. <laughs> thank you for having me, Bob. Yo, so thank you, Arla Maverick. I want to thank everyone who tuned in on the live show. I really appreciate your guys' attention. I um, would love if you guys can give this a share to give this to spread the word out. And once again, love in respect. I hope you guys have a great uh, weekend or week. And yeah, till next time. Thank you for tuning in to Getting 360 with Just Bobby T. If you are on Facebook Live, I would really appreciate if you hit that share button. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, I would love it and appreciate it and would have so much respect if you could leave a rating. So many more podcasts to come and I appreciate you guys listening. Peace.